Colossians 2 and verse 19, as we will be turning this morning again. 2 and verse 19, Paul is in this whole letter confronting the error that is so prevalent in that little church in Colossae in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago. He is addressing the errors, addressing the false teaching, and yet more so he is exalting the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is He refers to these false doctrines sometimes head-on, most of the times in a, in a not in a sidestepping way, but in a in a, uh, a very polite, very gentlemanly kind of way. Not to say that confronting truth outright is is ungentlemanly, un- ungentlemanly, but he is addressing it very kindly, very uh, very gently. Even as he said in Second Timothy two, that the Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome, but be gentle, gently reproving those who walk in error. If perhaps God might grant them. Uh, repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So is that attitude, that desire for truth, but teaching it in a very gentle way, very bold way, uh, kind of like a velvet-covered brick. Other people have talked about, you know, you have a brick, but it's velvet-covered. It's still hard, but it's it's soft. Or to be easily entreated or entreatable or easily understood. We can come across rather harsh sometimes in our presentation of the truth, but Ephesians 4 verse 15 says we need to be literally truthing it in love, speaking the truth in love, and being gracious, uh, knowing that our the other person is not our enemy. It is the deception, the, the, the delusion that, that uh, Satan brings, which we're going to see here in, in verse 19. Beginning in uh, verse 18, we saw that there were four characteristics uh, that, uh, that typified these false teachers there in Colossae. I'll repeat those as we go along, but as we read the scripture, uh, beginning at verse 16 through verse uh, 19, uh, I'll, I'll bring it forward for our, for our remembrance, but then focus on the yeah, verse 19. Verse 16 says, Therefore no one is to judge you in food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are only a shadow of what's to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, going into detail about visions he's seen, being puffed up for nothing by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. We looked at verse 18 last week that these false teachers were being false umpires in the game or the contest of a Christian life, a contest or the, the race toward maturity, the race toward Christ-likeness, they were defrauding them. They were crying foul when there was no foul. They were saying uh, offsides or they were saying whatever. You're, you're not doing what's exactly right based on these traditions of men that they upheld or based on their special knowledge that they had or based on just foolishness, really. And Paul says, don't listen to them. Don't let anyone Keep defrauding you of your prize. Don't let them turn you away from this. Well, there are four characteristics, and I don't know if you can see them on the screen at all, but essentially these these uh, these participles are called show us what how how are these people doing it? Well, first it says here they were delighting, they were desiring in self-abasement and the worship of angels. They were delighting in things that they should not be delighting in. They were settling for something that was far less than the glory and the substance of Christ. They were upholding angels to worship angels. What? The angels don't want to be worshipped. They will deflect and reflect worship back to Christ. He is the one worthy of it, not angels. And this, this, uh, this harsh treatment of the body, that's accomplishing nothing. That just makes you look good. Oh, I don't fast, or I do fast. I fast three times a week, four times a day, seven 
17 hours uh, every every half hour. I, when I just do it, I don't know on my head and I pray all that. That's a pharisaical attitude. That's not righteous. That's self-righteous. Don't delight in that thing. Second characteristic here says going into detail about visions he's seen. Going into detail, elaborate, elaborating on these things, being so consumed with, with mystical, fanciful, uh, very personal, subjective things that how how do we corrob- how do we prove what you're how do we confirm what you're saying is true? Well, you just have to believe me. You just have to take it because I've had this special knowledge. Well, don't they go into de- detail about things they have no clue what they're talking about, and they they make it very bold assertions about these things. They claim this is from God. It's not third aspect is here being puffed up for nothing by the by his fleshly mind being puffed up or inflated or or just self-important and realize whoa i'm just so so wonderful and i am the great uh, power of god one guy back in acts claimed about himself but they were puffed up for nothing meaning they had no basis for it they had no purpose for it other than self aggrandizement and they had no proof of it. I mean, you're getting puffed up for what? What have you done lately? What have you done like Christ has done? These false teachers are offering all this stuff, and they, like Jesus said against the Pharisees Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you have put so many burdens on your people and you haven't lifted a finger to try to help them. So many requirements, so many traditions, so many rules and regulations you put upon these people. How Are you giving them mercy? Are you pointing them to Christ? The Pharisees were not. They were pointing them, you can do this by yourself. You've got to try harder. You've got to be like us. And Jesus cut right through that. He said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And you think, what? The Pharisees and the scribes, they're the most righteous ones among us. How can our righteousness exceed them? Well, very easily. It's a gift righteousness. It's not something you try to earn or try to manufacture in your life because you can't. All of our righteousnesses, apart from Christ, are like filthy rags, dirty garments. The righteousness that we have that can surpass out of the legalists, the traditionalists, is the gift righteousness from Christ alone. So these people are puffed up about things they have uh, they've thought about they've, in their mind, their fleshly mind. They think they're so uh, special and erudite, and yet, no. They are characterized by what is natural, what is worldly, what is anti-God, and they were totally animated by it and controlled by it. Well, the fourth aspect is here in verse 19, not, this is the only negative statement, not holding fast to the head. And truly, you could summarize all the previous three characteristics by saying they're not in Christ. They're not honoring Christ. They're not celebrating the sufficiency, the glory of Christ alone. They are not holding fast to the head. Now, he introduces this analogy of a human body, and he has spoken of head before. He's spoken of body before in this letter of of Colossians. He's spoken about Christ, who is the head, not just of the church, which he is, but of all creation. He is the head, the firstborn from the dead, head of the church. He is the one who is overall. He is the one who has preeminence. He has the power. He has the authority. He is, as we see in this verse, he is the one from whom life and growth come. Uh, so the head is is very important to the body. The body, of course, is not just our physical body or uh, individuals. It is the body of Christ, which is described elsewhere in this wonderful letter. Uh, verse 18 of chapter 1, for example, and again in verse 24, and then again in uh, chapter 3 and verse 15, he talks about the body. We have been called into one body. Well, he describes this attitude or this approach toward Christ that these false teachers have blown it. They have missed the whole deal. They're not holding fast to the head, or to put it very clearly, not with the analogy here, but they're not holding fast to Christ. They're not 
clinging onto him like they ought to. Now, this word holding fast is one that's used at various times in Scripture. It can talk just very... Um, practically about somebody who who takes hold of something. I just took hold of my Bible. I'm holding my Bible. When Jesus went to heal Peter's mother-in-law, he took hold of her hand and said, get up. And, and she did. And the fever left her and she got up and served the people. When Jesus raised the daughter of Yairus or Yair, it's one of those Greek, Latin, Hebrew kind of things that are going on there. But the, the daughter who had died, he took her hand and said, child, arise, little girl, arise. So taking something by the hand, picking up something, or even more significantly, when Jesus said about the one who, hey, if you have a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? So there's that idea just of physical touch or, or contact between them. There is another sense in which this word is used, and I think that is what is permeating really this whole verse. This is the idea of holding to a, tra- a tradition or a doctrine holding to a, an opinion, a holding to a, an axiom maybe. And he says, these people are not holding fast to Christ. What are they doing? It's very similar to what Jesus addressed back in Mark chapter 7 when he confronted the Pharisees. They said, you hold or you observe, it's translated here, you observe the traditions of the elders. You observe all these things about washing and these ritual stuff, and you know you can't eat unless you've washed yourselves, and you have received these things to observe, uh, even the washing of cups and pitchers. But Jesus said in verse eight, Mark seven verse eight, you leave the tradition, or excuse me, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Or, to put it in Paul's words here, you're not holding fast to the commandment of God, and you are holding fast to the tradition of men. You're confused. Why are you elevating man's word over God's word and God's final word, which is Jesus Christ himself? Why are you doing that? Not holding fast to this this teaching that we have given to you. Paul is very much about that. Paul, in chapter 2 of Colossians, he says, I say this, verse 4 says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. It's not just that these false teachers were presenting all these, this false stuff. It's that they were not honoring and holding fast Christ, holding him forth. Remember, uh, uh, it wasn't a church. It was a, a mission I, I uh, uh, preached in once. And in the, in, the, in the front of the thing, I think it was only for the people, for the preacher to see, it, it was a quotation from, was it John 11, I think, where uh, the Greeks come and they ask to see Jesus. And the praise is, and the phrase is in the King James, I think. Uh, uh, Sir, we would see Jesus is the, is the thing. Blazing right across the front of the pulpit. It might have been on that side too, but I think it was this way. And that's the point. We want to see Jesus. He is life. He is the one. Not Moses who preached every Sabbath and all this. We want Christ. He is the answer to our, our sin. He is the one that we hold to. But there are various people persuading being very persuasive, saying this or that uh, teaching that is contrary, is leading people away from Christ, deluding Christians. Paul says in verse 6 of chapter 2, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Don't be taken away in this side or the other side. You've received Christ, walk in him. Be steadfast in him. Verse 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive. This is serious. There, there are uh, casualties of war. There are people being taken captive, and the captivity is not going to turn out well. 
for them because they are deceived by doctrines of demons and they will be enslaved to sin. There's no hope of, of conquering that. Only in Christ is that shackle, those shackles able to be turned away. The idea of holding on to traditions is also mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15. Paul says, in a positive way, Brothers, stand firm and hold on to the traditions which you were taught, whereby, or excuse me, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Hold on to the traditions. We see that the word of God, the truth, true doctrine, permeates this whole verse, verse 19. And holding on to Christ as he is uh, explained, expressed, taught, uh, admonished through Scripture, through God's word. We need to take hold of these things. This this phrase uh, hold, or this word "holding fast" appears in Christ's message to the churches in Revelation, uh, the church in Pergamum. He said, "Hold fast, you." church in Pergamum. You hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, Herod Antipas and the opposition that went on there. Um, and But he said, you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. False doctrine. They're holding to that. You hold to this. That's good. You hold to that. Not good. And you have some uh, who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Uh, kind of a legalistic deal going on as far as we can tell. But that was a false doctrine. So yes, you hold fast to my name, but what's this other stuff? You're, what, you can't bring error and mix it with truth. You've got to look to God's word. And that is the authority. That is the standard by which we measure all these things. If we were to hold up a crooked stick against a wall, then, well, which is crooked, the wall or the stick? Well, what, what are you measuring by? How, you know, it's crooked as a dog's leg kind of thing. No offense to dogs. But, but the, the idea is, what is your standard? How are you going to measure these different philosophies? As Paul said back in verse, um, where was it? Verse 11, verse 10, verse, verse 8. There it is. Uh, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Not that philosophy is evil or wicked. It's wisdom. You love wisdom. Well, wisdom comes from God. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But so many people say, well, I'm the knowledgeable one. I, but they're puffed up for no reason, and they lead you away from Christ. Paul says here, these people do not hold fast the head. Well, what good is it? If, if that person does not present Christ, does not present a, a worldview that is characterized by Christ, then it is at best empty. At worst, it is antichrist because it denies the reality, the supremacy of Christ himself over these things. We need to hold fast to the head, hold fast to Christ. He is the one that is over all and through all and in all. He is the one who deserves the honor and glory. He deserves to be preached. I don't get up here and read the newspaper. I don't read poetry. I don't read uh, my own writings. I read the scripture. It's Christ's word and Christ himself is that final word. We want to hold fast to our head individually, that Christ is the head of every man, but Christ is the head of this church. He is head of the universal church across ages, and he is head over everything else. Lest we think, oh, these, these unbelievers out there, they don't have to acknowledge Jesus because, you know, he's head of the church, and they're not in the church, so it's fine. No, he is head over everything. He is judge over, he is creator, he is redeemer. And for people to say, well, that Christ thing, that's good for you, but I'm doing my own thing, or I'm, do, I'm worshiping spinach, or I'm, whatever it is, worship Christ. He, you will worship him, as I mentioned earlier, Philippians 2, uh, 11, well, 9, 10, 11. God gave, God the Father gave Jesus the name, which is above every name. So was, we were singing 
that last song, and I was, I was celebrating Christ, and I thought, do we have those kind of songs? I imagine we do, unfortunately, but do we have those kinds of songs that celebrate our founding fathers by name? You know, George Washington across the Delaware, yay, and we have a rhyming tune to go to George Washington, and or Thomas Jefferson did this. Thank God for these men. But we honor and worship Christ. We celebrate him. We rally around his cause. We, I mean, we can celebrate Independence Day, but you know, this is the Lord's Day. It's the day when he rose again for us. We celebrate him. We sanctify him. We don't need to sanctify our founding fathers or uh, the different wars or different things that have, have done various things in our, in our country's history. But we celebrate Christ who has redeemed us, who uh, gave us the freedom. And what good is freedom if we don't use it to honor Christ and to love him? We want to hold fast to the head. It says here, and it continues this, this idea of body dynamics or body, that's the name of a, or title of a book, but uh, the, the, the reality of our, of our body, the head being that which directs and controls and, and sustains. Isn't it interesting how much uh, goes in and out of our, of our heads? I mean, we eat through our, through our mouths and that goes down this way. We breathe, we see, we hear, we talk so much. And, and you ever notice this? Now, don't make anybody feel awkward or anything, but when you're talking to somebody, do you look at their elbow? Do you look at their chin? Do you even look at their ear? I mean, when, if you're looking to their ear and they think, what's, what's going on with my ear? You look at their eyes. Isn't that amazing? Why are we doing that? Well, Jesus said that the eyes are the gateway to the soul. And you think, how can that be? How, we're wearing sunglasses. How can that be? Or the people are blind. Does it still work? Maybe people don't have eyes at all. It, it is a reality that our heads are the the summation, really, of our lives. Do you ever want proof? And various times in history, people wanted proof that so-and-so was dead. Remember uh, Herodias asked for the head of John the Baptist. Why the head? Well, it proves he's dead, because I hate him, want him out of my life forever. He makes me feel bad about myself. Or when Saul was killed. Saul was dead, King Saul, right? But when the Philistines found his dead body, what'd they do? They cut off, cut off his head and took his head down to their pagan gods down in Philistia and left his body right there on the, on the ground. Well, you can read more about how that happened with Saul. When David killed Goliath, actually there are two statements there that said David slew Goliath with the stone. Then it says David slew Goliath by cutting off his head. Which, which time did he die? Did he kill him twice? Well, it was a process. I don't know if he died immediately from the impact of the thing, but he definitely died when... David cut off his head. When you have a disconnected head, you're dead. When you're not holding fast to the head, you're dead. What, what, what kind of life do you expect to have apart from Christ? What are you looking for that Christ does not provide to you? Unless we think, well, Christ, where, where I don't see Christ. You're looking around the church. We are the body of Christ. We have a responsibility, one to another, to speak God's word to each other. It says here in verse 19, these people do not hold fast the head from whom the entire body, not just parts of it. Do you ever realize, you know, some people, especially when, when boys are eating and saying, oh, you must have a hollow leg. All that, Where's all that food going? Do you ever realize that God has designed our bodies to take in that food and then distribute it throughout our whole body such that if you're right-handed, I don't know, if, you're, if your right arm is bigger than your left arm, usually maybe that's the case in some respects, but not typically. We're typically pretty well balanced in, in our bodies, normally speaking. When the spiritual reality or spiritual sustenance comes to us, it 
influences and affects and blesses the entire body, not just pieces of it. And, and so many times, Philippians 2, for example, says, don't do anything out of a party spirit or for vain glory. Don't do, don't be, well, it, it, we have this inside group in the church and, and we know who you are. And, and if you're not part of us and you, you're just, we appreciate y'all being here, but just stay in your proper lane. No, this is a whole church. We're not, we're not going to segregate based on this uh, ideology or this, unless it's the idol- ideology of Christ, not idolatry, but the truth of what Christ. We're going to separate uh, fellowship over, over those truths. But in terms of, um, again, it's a crazy example. What car you drive and whether you put 87 octane or 89 or 93, we're going to sec- separate based on that. Or uh, have you paid your taxes today? Or, you know, the, the, well, that's a legal issue, but uh, the these other these other things we're not going to separate over these things the entire body is sustained and nourished by the truth of christ himself we're not going to say well this is only for uh this kind of people or this truth only applies to this uh other subset even though there are truths about women that ought to do this or men ought to do this or children obey your parents and lord for this is right there are those specific words but the general gift and reality and the implications of Christ are for everyone, for the entire body, not just some subset. Why is that so important? Because these false teachers were saying, unless you're in the in crowd, unless you follow our special teaching, you're you're not quite there. You haven't quite arrived. You're on your right path, but you've got to come in the extra step and come into our fellowship. And Paul says, hogwash, that is wicked. That is false. The entire body, when it holds fast to the head, which is Christ, it grows. Now, this analogy, and I mentioned before in these two verses that there's so so many words here that are used sometimes just one time in all of Scripture. And so we wonder, how, what does Paul mean by this term? Sometimes they're used in other, uh, more, more than one time, but um, one time. But I think, what what does Paul mean by this? How do, how do we understand what he's saying? This, this, these words being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments. Joints and ligaments. Those words are only used here in Colossians 2 and in a corresponding passage in Ephesians 4. And describing what? Joints and ligaments. Some other translations talk about ligaments and joints. They reverse the terms. What is is he talking about? Just to cut to the chase, I think he is talking about the connectivity. He's really emphasizing the unity of the church. If you were to read in Ephesians 4 beginning at verse 11 through verse 16, it speaks about individual gifts. You know, to each one, God has given a measure of gift, measure of, uh, of a gift according to the measure of their faith and so forth, and have apostles and prophets and all these different things, and we have to use our gifts. And he says, uh, uh, at, and working in measure of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Each His emphasis there is about individual gifts. Here in Colossians 2, he's talking about the unity of the body. We don't just have a piece of our body doing this thing over there. You know, our left, left, excuse me, our left hand says, I want to go to to a Cracker Barrel for dinner today or lunch today. And, and the right hand says, no, I want to go to McDonald's. And they argue and back and forth. Forget about that. We are one body. Treat it that way. Live that way. We are held together. We are supplied and held together by every piece that is working uh, for these for, our, for a common purpose. This word, uh, joints, is used, uh, as I mentioned, Ephesians 4, verse 16, uh, whatever joint supplies. It is also um, used in the uh, 
Old Testament and the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, to describe uh, things that are just uh, connective tissue or, or connecting or touching one another. Uh, the, this is a noun form. I don't want to get too crazy about it, but the the Yes, this is a noun form. The verb form appears in verse 21 of Colossians 2, which is interesting. It says, do not handle all these rules. Do not handle. Do not, don't even touch it. We'll see in that, in that passage even that that phrase or that commandment, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which are all these requirements, all these legalistic uh, regulations and so forth. It really goes back to Genesis 3. Do you remember when the serpent asked Eve about that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Eve said misquoted God and said he said you shall not eat it or touch it well God didn't say anything about touching it he said don't eat of it so what's this thing about touching well we'll look at it next time uh, it, well sometime in verse 21 here do not handle but it's the idea of, of touching connecting which comes back to the holding fast idea are you holding fast to the head do you grasp onto him or are, are you using the the characteristic that we have we are in the body of christ are we are we growing are we encouraging one another we're nourishing one another through our uh the opportunities that we have by connecting with each other this word um, ligaments is again where did you get that idea i mean it is used later in terms of medical analogy but not not in the first century here it is fundamentally something that holds things together it is uh, a combination of various things in the primary translation in the Old Testament is a conspiracy. You think, oh, conspiracy theorists, all this kind of whacked out crazy heads, right? Uh, well, no, conspiracy just means people are in cahoots. They're thinking together. They are bound. They are yoked together for a common purpose, for a common uh, goal that they have. And conspiracy is one of those things. Or the bonds, uh, Isaiah 58, verse 6 says, they want to loosen the bonds of wickedness, or God does. He loosens the bonds of wickedness. Or elsewhere, same passage, removing the yoke, that, that bond, that things that, I mean, a yoke is for connecting a, a beast of burden, maybe to another beast of burden, and then to the load that is behind them. That yoke was something that, that con- combined or, or uh, connected people together. It's used repeatedly in Ephesians and Colossians, talking about the bond, the bond that we have in Christ, uh, the perfect bond of unity, Colossians 3, verse 14. So the point is, it's the connectivity or the connections that we have in the body of Christ, Christ, him, Christ himself being the head from which we need to hold fast. Well, what do we do with one another? This says, uh, uh, by the joints and ligaments, what are, the, what are these joints and ligaments doing? Well, they are supplying and holding the body together. They are the ones who, or we are the ones, who um, make provisions, uh, bring supply for uh, needs. He's the one. We are ones who nourish one another. We minister to each other. We meet each other's needs as we're able, uh, verbally, emotionally, relationally, physically, materially. We help one another. Uh, God himself is the one who provides us with all blessings. He is the one who uh, supplies us even with the ability, and really various songs and different things celebrate uh, the fact or or ask that we would just be channels of blessing, um, bringing God's supply to human need and, and ministering and being God's hands and his feet as we are able on earth. Every joint supplies these things, and it says they are held together. Again, that emphasis on... Um, uh, the unity, the the uh, um, 
combination or the connection between things. But there's even a a more specific use of this word in the Old Testament and New Testament, Testament, holding together, which I think comes right in the the main flow of his passage, holding fast to Christ, holding uh, tight to him. And that is the idea here. Holding together is the idea of bringing into the knowledge of the truth, holding together. Speaking the truth in love, Paul says in, in Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth in love, we grow. And in the Old Testament, for example, this word held together is uh, translated as, I will teach you what you are to say. I will, this is in Exodus 4, God speaking to Moses. I will teach you what you are to say. I will teach you what you are to do. Uh, I will make known these things, that you will teach these things. Uh, you will inform, actually it says Isaiah 40, who has become God's counselor to inform him to hold him together or to to get his act together. Who's the one to be his uh, instructor? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Well, not us. He is totally sufficient in himself, but we need to teach one another. We have a responsibility to admonish one another, to teach one another, to approve one another, as the case may be throughout our lives as different situations arise. We want to be those who work toward the building up the body proclaiming Christ as head from whom the entire body. Now notice if you were to, to take out the, these extra phrases and whatever else, this, the main idea of what Paul is saying here in verse 19 is these false teachers are not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body grows with a growth that's from God. Now it says from whom, we're not talking about from whom, which is the head. He's not referring back to the head. He's saying the head refers to Christ. So he, he skips over the head thing. He goes right back to Christ. Maybe that's a little, don't, don't get it. But his point is, it's Christ alone in his headship, Christ alone in his supremacy and his preeminency that brings that growth, which is a growth from God. He uses these two words in a, in, in a it's one word, verb and noun forms, grows with a growth that's from God. It is something that, that causes the, the building up. You ever notice, and this is more brought out, I think, in Ephesians 4, that says that we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. You ever look at a baby, and if you were to measure, and you were to measure a baby's proportions, you know, the size of, of the head and, and width, uh, maybe to the shoulders or to the length of the... Um, Humorous, thank you. This this bone up here, or the femur. If you were to measure and, and find the, the proportions of an infant versus a full-grown adult, and just to compare those those measurements, you will see that an infant's body is mostly head and belly, especially if they're my kids or grandkids, but but mostly head, and their body needs to fill out or or match up with the size of the head. Now, I don't know what the what the proportional growth is of a skull versus a femur, for example, through the course of a natural life. But I think it's a lot more than, I mean, the growth of the femur is much more than the growth of the head. The point is, I mean, just I'm just pressing forward Paul's analogy here and saying that we need to be like our head. We need to grow. We need to do our things. We need to work and, and do all this stuff in connection with one another. But it's the head that causes the growth. He is the one who gives the, the marching orders. He's the one who calls the shots. He's the one who says, stay away from that. That's a danger over that. This is what we want to do. Broccoli is good for you. I mean, you have to learn and teach these good things. 
the head is where the growth comes. And notice he says this is a growth that is from God. Or you could say that is something that is characterized by God. It is a growth that is given by God. It is a growth that is for the purpose of God. In other words, God is all over this. And if God is part of your individual growth, then you will grow. And if God is maybe uh, to the side and says, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay attention to angels, I'm going to pay attention to my self-abasement, my, my harsh treatment of the body, I'm going to be inflated in their minds. Well, wait a minute. We don't want anything bigger. I mean, our head is already big enough in terms of our pride and what we think about ourselves. I'm pretty cool. I'm pretty neat and beautiful and strong. Um, remember there was a boxer years ago who said, I'm the greatest. Fill in the blank about that. But God is the greatest. God is the best over us. And we, we want to be his witnesses, his ambassadors, his uh, hands and his feet, his, his lips talking to one another, our, our tongues, our, our, our whole beings to encourage one another. The growth that we want is the growth from God. Do you know there is a growth in, again, going back to the now to the Bible, there, is, there, are, there are things that grow faster than bones, faster than muscle tissue, faster than, than all those good things, and that is cancer grows very fast. Paul compares, uh, in fact, this is one of those words, uh, a Greek term, I guess it's medical, so you would expect it to be Greek, but gangrene is a word that is a Greek word, and it talks about something that is, it's a disease, it grows very quickly, and it, it violates, it just destroys what is good. That is a cancer. Cancer grows very rapidly. And you think, well, isn't rapid growth good? Well, not in that case. That's not good at all. That'll kill you. We want to subdue that unnatural, that negative growth. That's not healthy. I won't belabor the point now, but there is so much about this growth that is here and holding fast the head and the importance that we have of teaching one another, this idea of holding one another together, that comes from the scripture. It comes from the truth of God's word. There are many people who would say, well, you can grow, you can grow better if you don't pay so much attention to God's word. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice and all, but for 2,000 years, uh, we have just learned so much and we can appreciate what God has said in his word, but there's so much more available to us now in the 21st century. Did you know it's nothing new, even in terms of worshiping angels and demons? Back in Isaiah's day, 700 B.C., uh, when they, Isaiah says, Isaiah 8, he says, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter special knowledge, special treatment, I'll give you some special, you know, unusual, extraordinary knowledge. And Isaiah says, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? And he says, Isaiah says, to the law and to the testimony. We go back to God's word. That is the standard. That is the authority. And he says, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. They have no light. They claim they're great teachers. They claim they have a corner on the truth. But if it's not according to the book, what good is it? It's not, uh, it's not based in God's authority, God's revelation. Paul warned the Ephesian church. The church that he had spent the most of his time, his, his personal ministry, was in Ephesus. And he says, I know after my departure, this is Acts 20, verse 29, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So false teachers from outside will come in. But, and this is the most heartbreaking, I think, for Paul, verse 30, from your among your own selves, these are the elders of the church, pastors of the church, men will arise speaking perverse things. Why? To draw away the disciples after them. They were speaking things that got them attention, got them followers, but it wasn't true. 
It was perverse, crooked things that were not holding fast to the head, which is Christ. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy and Titus, he has so many of these commandments uh, or exhortations and encouragements to teach the word. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, 1 Timothy 6, 3, and does not agree with sound words, and this idea of sound words has the idea of health, healthy or healthful or living or, or good. If someone does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited, he understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who could suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So that's the thing. False teachers get a lot more money than true teachers because there's a lot more people that say Put that aside. I'd rather go, this guy has a corner on the truth. Wow, he's telling me things I've never heard before in my life. There might be a reason for that, because he's making it up. Or it's lies. It's not from God's word. Listen to him. So many, uh, so much growth, rather, happens outside of, of God's word, but it's not good growth. It's like a cancer. It's like a gangrene. It is a violation of ourselves. True growth, real growth, real maturity comes through the ministry of the word of God. Throughout Acts, you see the advancement of the Word of God. Uh, 3,000 people were added that first uh, Sunday that, that Peter preached, and many more came to believe, about 5,000 now and by Acts 4. And it says the Word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied, and it was affecting the whole region and so forth. And then elsewhere it says we have this sound teaching. We hold fast that faithful Word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he'll be able, this is pastors, able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to approve those who come contradict. We speak true, sound doctrine for the growth of the body in or from God himself, but it all comes back to Christ. Who is he? That's why Christology, the knowledge, the doctrine of Christ himself, is so central to what we would measure as orthodoxy or right doctrine. What do you believe about Jesus? I mean, you can talk about eschatology, you can talk about ecclesiology, what, you know, church structure and all the, how, when should we meet and how often should we do the Lord's table, uh, who should be baptized. You can talk about those things, but it comes back to, really, what do you do with Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? How is he important in your worldview, your reality, your understanding of reality, that is? How does he affect you personally? Is he your Lord? Do you love him? Do you appreciate the fact that he died with you on his mind? That he died knowing he's taking Scott's sin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for his sin. Everything that he would ever do, going to, to make a way for his, for his uh, wickedness to be paid for, to be, have God's wrath appeased and satisfied. Love Christ. Other stuff is a distraction come back to Christ. Who are we going to worship in eternity? Christ. And glorify him. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. What was he slain? For me. Is there going to be a knowledge of sin in eternity? Yes, but not a, a, a condemnation for sin. It is a rejoicing that Christ the lamb took penalty for me and has given me a righteous gift. Gift righteousness. We hold fast Christ. We proclaim our devotion to him, our dependence upon him and we look forward to being with him hopefully very soon. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for the gift of your Son and the truth that is in him. Please help us to hold fast to our head. Please help us to pay attention to right doctrine, right thinking. Please help us to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. 
We pray that you would give us very much discernment. So many voices are speaking in these days, but not according to Christ and not with his word on their lips. Please help us to give attention to you. Please change us. We know that true and lasting, real, healthy change is from you, from your word, accomplished through your spirit. Please help us. So prone are we to wander away and not hold fast to our head. So prone are we to find teachers that will tickle our ears and tell us things that are really interesting, but not according to your book. Please help us. We need you. Please help us as we speak the truth to one another, that we do it gently, graciously, but certainly based in your authority and based on love for the other person. This is life. This is where we want to minister to one another and help one another truly based on your word, based on what you have revealed about yourself, about us, what really is the problem in our lives, and what is the solution. That is Christ himself. Please help us. We want to glorify you. We pray in Christ's name.